Hi everybody, it's Greg, and here's what's coming up in the Popping Collars feed for the month of July 2020. Popping Collars with me, Betsy, Liz, and Ricardo will feature a conversation about road trip pop culture, all those things that make you want to hop in the car, roll down the window, and turn up the radio. Our Going on 30 spinoff, where Betsy and I review the movies of 1989, continues this month with Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones. And we have two brand new shows premiering this month. The first is Take Two, where we invite a past guest of Popping Collars to come back and update their take on a piece of pop culture we discussed years ago. This month, our special guest is Eric Matoye, who will be returning to talk about The Wire. Also, later this month, past guest Shayna Watson and I will kick off a new show called The Sacred Six, where we do a six-month deep dive into various episodes of a pop culture series. The two of us will be kicking things off by discussing discrimination and diversity in six episodes of the original Star Trek television series. This month's episode will be Space Seed, featuring the origin of Khan. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped. Previously on Popping Collars. Welcome to a brand new offering from the Popping Collars Expanded Universe that we're calling Take Two. This mini episode of the pod provides a former guest of Popping Collars the chance to come back and update their view on a piece of pop culture. I am your host. My name is Greg Knight. And this month, my returning guest is Eric Matoye. Welcome back to Popping Collars, Eric. Thank you, Greg. It is a joy to come back to Popping Collars. It's been so long. I know. It, we, so we get a chance to hang out. And you know, I'm hoping that we're going to talk about one of my favorite shows, actually the best show in television history, The Wire. Let me set you up. It was our 18th episode of the podcast. The date was oh May gosh. 22nd, 2015. And the subject was The Wire best television show in the history of tv when we recorded that episode the wire had been wrapped for about seven years and the city of baltimore was recently in the headlines surrounding the death of freddie gray in police custody since then the book all the pieces matter by jonathan abrams an in-depth look at the making of the show has been released and the show's creator david simon has recently talked about a sequel of sorts with a new show set in Baltimore using the same actors from The Wire. Eric, the floor is yours. What is your take two on the legacy of The Wire, knowing what we know now? The Wire was so much part of the history of urban America. Yeah. And what I really appreciated, by picking Baltimore, they got a town that is at many crossroads. In the past, you and I and other guests have shared that Baltimore is northern yet southern it is a southern town south literally south of mason dixon line and yet 
uh, has that northern culture to it, and also the southern culture. I mean, if Maryland wasn't physically occupied by the Union Army, they called it a border state. It was a southern state. Yeah. But the but the industrial revolution hit Baltimore in a way that it never hit big city, the great cities in the South until after Reconstruction. I mean, it was a big, huge manufacturing town and a port city. So the part that I loved about The Wire then and still love now is, is that story of America. It's industrial and urban and gentrifying. Well, it talks about drugs and policing and how drugs winds all through these things. But it talks about urban policing. It talks about education in the urban city. It talks about the collapse of the newspaper industry because you know, in that last season, when the guy's making up stories, there's no editor to check them because there aren't any editors anymore. A very no-holds-barred portrayal of urban life in America, which sadly, sadly, continues now. When you talk about Freddie Gray, what happened to Freddie Gray is what happened to uh, George Floyd. And I think that you put your finger on something that's really important. It's the way that the system self-perpetuates. You know, you mentioned the the newspaper and the the way that the newspaper is crumbling in the last season, but the crumbling of the newspaper actually serves to help perpetuate cycles of oppression, cycles of addiction, help perpetuate the systems that are in place to keep the people that are in power still in power, because now you can misinform everyone and no one's going to catch you on it, right? Now you can lie and nobody cares that you're lying. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. What I remember what you said about the newspaper was hearing a report off of um, uh, Pacifica Radio, which admittedly is incredibly leftist. I have to balance that with reading The Economist, the great you know, British rag of imperialism. Um, but what, they, what both agreed on was with the collapse of local news, you don't have the people sitting in on the on the selectman meetings, the town board meetings, the police council meetings. Now, when I listen in on my public radio station in San Francisco, which is housed in the school department, that's how I know what's happening in the school in the school district, mm-hmm. which no longer happens in San Mateo County because that paper collapsed. So local news is no longer getting fact-checked because that's a reporter. If the reporter is true to their mission, is to check that out. And that was one of the main, you know, check out these stories. Okay, so I'll speak from my experience, right? When I first watched the show, I watched it from the perspective of the cops. So when I got the thrill of the show, it was when it felt like the uh, wire or the major crimes unit was about to make like a big uh, move on like Barksdale or on Marlo Stanfield, right? It's when they caught them slipping up. And now they have the evidence that they need to like prosecute them and stuff. But in subsequent watches, what really stands out to me is how people that are in the game. So that is like addicts, drug dealers, they are treated by the police commissioners, by the politicians, by the advisors to the politicians as numbers and not as human beings. And the goal of Carchetti is to get the numbers down so that he has a shot at moving from mayor of Baltimore to governor of Maryland. And that's all he cares about. And he doesn't care about the human beings whose lives are affected by drugs coming in from the ports and going out into West Baltimore. He has not one care at all. What he cares about is getting the number of bodies that are being discovered in the row houses shifted to a previous year or to a year after his 
uh, campaign for governor so that he doesn't have to own a high murder rate. And that's that's where I see really the legacy of the show is in not seeing the humanity of the people around us. And that is so pressing because that is a conversation I had today with one of our uh, ministers in the jail ministry of Kairos, the prison colony at San Quentin, because he talks about when he speaks of these men and finds a way to get their voice out, either through tapes or when they're released to get bring them out to town council meetings that's when they no longer become numbers because Mm -hmm. the moment they're in the system, they're just a number and a digit that's processed. And one of the most, he said one of the most uncomfortable meetings he had was when he brought them in for a town hall meeting with all these people running for um, district attorney, running for judge, because those are in, in the California County system. Those are elected positions. And he brings out these gentlemen who during their whole trial process never had a voice. And this is what The Wire was talking about back in the early 2000s. That's what's so fantastic about it. And so sad is that this system self-perpetuates. You know, uh, Lester Freeman has a great quote on the show. Lester Freeman may be the best cop ever on television. (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) Real police, Lester Freeman. Uh, He has a great quote. In this country... Somebody's name has got to be on a piece of paper. A cousin, a girlfriend, a grandmother, a lieutenant he can trust. Somebody's name is on a piece of paper. And here's the rubs. You follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** it's going to take you. So I'm going to give you a magic wand, Eric. Yes. magic wand allows you to make one more season of The Wire. Each season deals with a different aspect of the life of Baltimore. It starts with like a, you know, quick season about the drug trade, goes to the ports, goes to politics, goes to schools, goes to journalism. Where would you go for the sixth season of The Wire? I will go into gentrification and housing. I say that because we're now hitting that full cycle of the property, the building of luxury condos and housing. But the cleaning of the money is the next story. And how that gentrification brings in a whole new neighborhood. And that neighborhood then tries to bring their values with them. So it's not an, it's not the neighborhood of the people who move in because they want that multicultural experience. It's the people who move in that neighborhood to remove that multicultural experience. And the drug dealers benefit because that's how they're, that's how they're going to get big money. I mean, really big money. Clean their money, but make really big money. They become gentrified and become part of society and get to live, move out of their neighborhoods. But it's also the change of the police force that the police, the way the police behave with the gentrifiers versus the people that are being displaced is, you described it earlier, it, that fault line that becomes very clear. And, the, you know, fault line is great is a great metaphor or a great image, I think, for this because, you know, it creates gaps between people. And reconciliation is bridging those gaps. And that's the work that we hope to do as a church, right? But so often what we see is violence through division, where those those gentrified neighborhoods, all of a sudden the white ladies walking their dogs start calling the cops. And all of a sudden, not recognizing the humanity of the person that's in your neighborhood, just seeing them as a as a black body that is disposable and and, and is in the wrong place the cycle of violence perpetuates itself. And exactly. And it continues on and on and on. 
Eric, thank you so much. I, I could talk about The Wire for days and days. If you know, if we ever get a chance to do a long-form version of the show, that will be a wonderful day where we can just break down like six episodes of the show or something like that. We'll see. But in the meantime, uh, catch our audience up. Uh, tell us uh, where you are and what you're doing in your ministry these days. So for my sisters and brothers and siblings that were with me at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, I have not left the area or anything else. I still continue my position in varying degrees at the Diocese of California, serving the people of God, advising on congregational life, multicultural ministry, and at this point, uh, enjoying the lockdown by living in our new home in, in the sunset back in San Francisco, enjoying blue bottle coffee. Nice. Love it. Love it. Miss my Pete's coffee. Miss my it's it. Miss all that stuff out there. Oh my gosh. I need you to send me care packages down here to Florida. In Florida, you need them, brother. You Florida, you will need them. Thank you for coming back on the show, Eric. Keep those colors popped and we will see you next time.